we are continuing our series in a, a weak but strong in Second Corinthians. Now, I have a question for you. Uh, who here has a National Trust membership? Yes. Who here's parents had a National Trust membership growing up? Yes. There we go. My parents had a National Trust membership. Um, and uh, it's great family fun, isn't it? Uh, you can go to many places. Uh, and as kids, we were really excited when we got to go like at weekends or when we were on holiday, we'd go to the National Trust, wherever that was. And normally it's like a big castle or a um, huge stately home or whatever. And for, to be honest, like I was thinking about three things. Firstly, has it got a good shop? So uh, normally National Trust are great on the stationary front. So you can get a nice bookmark or a rubber or pencil, whatever. Uh, you're getting into next level stages when you get like a mood ring or something else like soft toy related. Uh, so has it got a good shop? Has it got um, a nice tea room? So like you're thinking maybe tea, scones, fresh scones. I'm thinking orange calippo as a child. So if we've got an orange calippo, again, we're on to a winner. And is there a play park? If there's a zip wire, this is the dream. We're, we've hit a home run, life done, I'm good. So that's what my thoughts were growing up. But as I got older, uh, we started to do more tours around the place. So you'd kind of sign up and you'd have the lady there, always in Tartan, even in England. But anyways, you'd have them in Tartan and they would do a tour all around the, the house um, or the stately home or the, or the castle or whatever it was. And as a kid, not so keen, but as an adult, it was pretty fascinating. I mean, they would be like, this is like the land that we built on. It was like war-torn and families were um, fighting against each other and a peace pact was made and this, this castle was built because of it. Or they would be talking about the portraits that were on the wall and this person painted this lady and doesn't she look beautiful? And she's like... But, uh, you know, you've got all of these pictures on the wall or you've got the ceiling decorated beautifully and they talk about like how it's been passed from uh, family to family and who's done what and what, um, uh, what the kind of the character of the place is. And uh, so you, ha you have this beautiful tour of the, uh, the, the stately home. And I suppose the question that I want to be posing to us this morning is this, if someone was to do a tour of our house, if someone was to do a tour of our lives, what would we be showing? What would we um, kind of be reflecting? What would we, we be saying that our foundations are built on? What would we be um, kind of declaring in terms of the paintings in our lives, the things that are in our lives? What are we reflecting? Who are we showing? Who are we showing that lives in our lives? And so the passage that we are um, looking at this morning hopefully will begin to help us give a bit of a framework for some of those answers. So we're going to be reading together. Um, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 to 18. It's going to come up on the screen. Bibles? Do we lose them? Can you all read? Great. <laughs> if you um, don't have a Bible and you would like a Bible, then please come and catch us at the end. We would love to give you one as a gift. Um, but we can see on the screen, hopefully the font's big enough, and I will also read it out. So, the greater glory of the new covenant. <clears throat> now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Deep breath. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. 
We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Amen. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that when we read it, lives are transformed. That when we meditate on it, God, that your spirit does something in our lives and Jesus thank you that you're here with us thank you that your spirit and your presence is with us and we choose in this moment to open our lives up to you and to ask for you to move for you to speak for you to transform for you to bring freedom pray this in Jesus name amen So there are a couple of different themes that we'll kind of see as I kind of go out throughout this morning, um, and we'll kind of look at them in context, but we're hearing a lot of talk of glory, a lot of talk of veiled faces, past and present, the law, there's a lot of different themes, but hopefully as we go, they'll all begin to connect up and we'll see why uh, Paul is talking about them. So first thing we want to get into is who is laying the foundations of our lives? Who is laying the foundations? Verse 12, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Is my earring clacking on this? Yes. Let's just take it out. We'll go Elton John and just have one. Yes, love Elton. Um, So yes, verse 12, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. And we see that Paul is basically laying the groundwork. He's laying the foundations for the point that he wants to hammer home. And so when he's talking about um, Moses and his veiled face and the glory um, that comes on Moses um, as he meets face to face with God, and then that now coming to pass because of the new covenant of Jesus, he's laying the foundation so that he can make his point. Um, I don't know if any of you uh, know of a gentleman called Alex Honnold. Anyone know Alex Honnold? Yes, some climbers in the room. Uh, We should have a picture here. Anyone know where that is? Yes. Yes, Yosemite, or Yosemite, as I called it last week at North. Uh, Never called it Yosemite in my life, but Yosemite National Park in America. Uh, This is El Capitan, and um, Alex Honnold is the only person to have ever climbed said rock face sans rope without a rope, which is pretty impressive. Um, but uh, he didn't just rock up one day, rock up, oh, uh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> he didn't just uh, rock up one day and decide, I'm just going to climb this without a rope. But actually, over the period of about a decade, he climbed it way over 50 times. And in his words, he said this, he needed the sequences to be so deeply ingrained in him so that there was no possibility of error, and that error being death. Uh, and so <clears throat> he... He literally internalized every step, every movement on this rock face so that he could get to the top and know that he would survive. He did. Spoilers. And, uh, uh, I mean, it's just an incredible feat. I mean, it's been uh, proclaimed as one of the greatest athletic feats of all time. Um, 
is absolutely amazing. But the, the point is that he had to um, have like this internal moment where he internalized every single movement, every possible route to get to the top before he even put his hand on the rock for the first time without a rope. He had to have this internal moment before, this external moment. He had to lay the foundations in his mind, in his body, like that physical muscle memory, before he even put a foot on the rock. And the same is true for us. One thing has to come before the other. We have to lay the foundations. We have to know the foundations upon which we stand before we even step out. There's this internal moment where we begin to understand who God is before we step out in boldness for him. And so it's clear throughout this part of the letter that there's to be that internal moment. And that foundation that Paul is talking about is that we know know that God isn't going anywhere. That we have the incredible privilege because of the work of Jesus on the cross that we can stand face to face with God's glory and his presence any time, any place. And the scripture that Paul is alluding to with Moses is Exodus chapter 34. When Moses goes back up the mountain to meet with God and he goes up to rewrite the Ten Commandments and to receive new laws for his people. And in doing so, he meets God face to face. And as a result, the glory of God is on his face. And he knows that the Israelites um, are going to be scared. People are already being scared by seeing his face, you know, with the glory of God. So he puts a veil over it. He knows that they won't understand it and he knows that they could be scared. And he also knows that it's fading. Because there's this moment where he meets God and then he comes out of that presence and so the glory begins to fade, which is why he puts the veil on his, fade, on his face. He had to physically move from one place to another to meet with God face to face. It wasn't a permanent feature and it faded over time. And just as like a little brackets moment, when we're talking about glory, what do we actually mean? And to be honest, you could do an entire talk on like the glory and what glory means throughout scripture and it's different But in this context, we're talking about the revelation of who God is, his presence, his character, his name. There's this kind of reaction in us when we see God's glory. It's like, wow. It's like when we look at the National Trust building and you're like, wow, this is magnificent. You're in that place and just reflect the glory of God, the incredible nature of the mighty one. We're reminded of who he is. But what Paul is saying is the difference is between us and Moses is that we don't have to go up a mountain to see God. We don't have to be a high priest that goes into the Holy of Holies and then probably get dragged out by our feet to see and meet with God. We don't need one-off special occasions to come face to face with the presence of God. Jesus enabled us to do that now and forevermore. He enabled us to boldly approach the throne room of the king. The Holy Spirit was poured out for all on Pentecost, for all. Every single person chooses to trust and believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit was poured out for all so that we could operate in the very power and presence of God 24-7, 365 days of the year from now until eternity. That is the foundation of our hope. Therefore, we have such a hope that we are very bold. We have such a hope. When we step out and share who God is, what he's done in our lives, what are the foundations that we are stepping out from? What are we standing on when we do that? Are we built on those foundations that we have this freely accessible relationship with who God is, that we can 
come face to face with him in any given moment, that Jesus paved the way so that we could do that. That when we call on his name, he answers. See, when we are built on those very foundations, that very hope is with that knowledge and that steadiness that we do step out in boldness. And Paul isn't mincing his words when he says, you'll be very bold. He's not like, you'll be a little bit bold. Maybe a little bit scared, but you know, he's saying with that very hope, with that foundation that we have in our lives, that internal moment where we know who God is, then that's when we step out in boldness and we are very bold. It's like Alex Honnold, he wouldn't have put a finger on that rock if he didn't know what he was founded in, if he didn't have it internalized in his memory. And that's the same for us. When we have that foundation of who God is, the glory of God, that we can meet with him at any given time, any given place. That's when we step out in boldness. We have this foundation already there. So who is our foundation? What are we standing on? Point number two. Who's building the walls? Verse 18. And we who with unveiled faces are all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, a moment came for us in January where we decided we probably need to put Ezra. Ezra's my little boy. Uh, I was my husband, Chris. He's not here this morning. Big beard, if you don't know him. Anyways, um, we decided we need to put him in nursery. Um, but uh, we were kind of leaving it a bit late. But anyways, we, we managed to find him a little nursery place. But I was freaking out because I was like, I don't want to put my child into somebody else's care. I just want to look after him all the days of my life till he's 18. Um and I was like, I just poured out all my love and energy and everything, blood, sweat and tears into this tiny little person. I don't want to ship him off somewhere else. Anyways, I was having all these freak out moments. Then we found a, be- a really lovely nursery. The lady is so sweet. And uh, we just knew it was right. And so, anyways, we put him into nursery. First day comes. And typical, like he, he greets the ladies with open arms and a big smile. And I'm like, all right, calm down. Like, I'm your mum. But anyways, he's like hello and so he goes off and I go off to work and then Chris and I when we go to pick him up we're like no I'm gonna pick him up no I'm gonna pick him up we're fighting over who's gonna pick him up anyways um at the moment that you pick him up oh there's a little picture here just just for you to see look at that face (laughs) that is the face that you see and so like I'm like Ezra and he's like mommy he doesn't speak but that's basically what he's trying to say But he's reflecting all the love and everything that I have given him, that Chris and I have given him over the last almost year of his life. In that moment, he sees our face and we, we, we kind of glance at each other and he reflects that. He has this beautiful grin and he's just so, so happy. And the question for us this morning is when people look at us, who do we reflect? Do we reflect God? What radiates from within us? When folk look at our lives, what do they see displayed? See, the walls and the structures of our lives are built on the foundations. And just as we find ourselves in Jesus, our structures and our lives are built to reflect him. Our walls are built to reflect him. To draw people to a place of awe. It's like, wow, doesn't their life reflect something really good? Doesn't their life reflect something amazing, something just out of this world. And to be honest, I, I love this passage. This passage is like my life passage. Um, but I get, I kind of get goosebumps every time I read it. 
But I just want to kind of read some of these words and then pause and reflect on some of them. Um, so we all reflect the Lord's glory. We all reflect the Lord's glory. And I think there's something in that for all of us, like in, uh, in Scripture and especially in the New Testament, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, the writers talk in absolutes. It's not some of you or if you've been good, or if you've not sinned that day, it's no, we all, the Holy Spirit will fall on all. We all reflect God's glory. If you love and trust Jesus, and he's in your life, you are reflecting his glory. We all reflect the Lord's glory. Maybe that's a word here for someone this morning. You might be counting yourself out, but no. If Jesus is in your life, you reflect his glory. That we are being transformed into his likeness we are being we haven't been and that's it done it's not sorry you can take Ezra off the screen now. <laughs> um uh it's not yeah you've had this moment you've been transformed into Jesus job done that's you until eternity no we are being transformed it is a present continuous moment we are continuously being transformed into his image and so that gives us hope doesn't it that over time we are going to become more and more into his his likeness it's not into the person that you compare yourself with most in your life. It's into his likeness, into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That is incredible. When you think about that, we are being transformed into more and more of the image of Jesus. That's amazing. And an ever-increasing glory from the Lord. Again, ever-increasing. It's not like your life will just kind of oh, plateau, bing, but it's ever-increasing glory from the Lord, you know, from birth till death. As we keep going, as we keep going, as God transforms us more and more, as we're being transformed more and more into his likeness, it's with ever-increasing glory. That is incredible. When you just kind of rest on those words, I could just be like, job done, right? Let's stand, let's worship. <laughs> Amazing, the truth of these individual words. They're incredible. And the language is pointing to the fact that this is an ongoing moment. From now until eternity, we are a work in progress. It's like when you go around to someone's house, like I think about my house at the moment, we um, uh, moved in in October. And so there's lots of things that we want to do to the house. Um, James Juice, absolute legend, just spent like his entire morning on Friday with Chris, like laying a new floor. So much better. Um, but people will come around and be like, oh, is that new? Is that a new like picture frame? Or have you done something to the floor? Yes, we have. Uh, have you painted a new wall? As you go around to someone's house and you see them doing work on it, it reflects more and more of who they are, their personality, their character. And it's like that in our lives. When people are in and around their lives, they're like, oh, is that new? You're operating in a newness of who Jesus is. You see more and more of who Jesus is in our lives because they were an ongoing transformation. As God does an inner work with us, we manifest that. We reflect that. And as I said, Moses couldn't walk around without a veil on for those two reasons. One, that he knew that the glory was fading, but also he knew that people would be scared of it. But we don't have to walk around with a veil in our lives, but I think sometimes we do. It's like when you go around construction buildings, sometimes you see an open site and um, you know that stuff's going on, so you can see full well what's happening in, in, that, in that site. And then other times you see like the boards up, and so you can't see anything that's going on, and it's like under construction. 
And sometimes that's like that in our lives. We kind of put this veil up that's like under construction and no one can see anything in our lives. And so maybe for us this morning, there's a few things that we can be asking ourselves, like what is the veil in our lives? What is it that I'm putting up that only Jesus can take down? What is it that's getting in the way of people seeing the transformation in my life? And I love the fact that because of the work of Jesus on the cross, when we meet with God face to face, the glory doesn't fade. Because we have this permanent moment where we can meet God at any time, at any place. And so, what are the veils that we are living under? What are the things that are maybe casting a shadow on the glory of God in our lives? And as I said, we can't remove them ourselves. Only Jesus can do that. But he is in the business of bringing freedom so that we can live unveiled lives fully free to reflect the beauty and the glory of God in our lives. So, who are, what's our foundation? Who's building the walls? What are we reflecting in our lives? And finally, who inhabits our lives? Verse 17. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I uh, remember going around to a particular family. They actually go to this site, but anyway, they're not here, so it's fine. Um, I remember going to their house for the first time when I was a student, about 11 years ago, and just being like, wow, this is a really big house. Uh, but also, like, the food smelled amazing, and they were just so hospitable and so welcoming. And, uh, and it was just a really great lunchtime. It was brilliant, so much fun. And uh, then over the course of the years, I've just been invited, basically, into their family, into their home. And so uh, I've spent, like, had family dinners with them. I've had meetings there. I've had prayer ministry there. I've been in a fancy dress in their home. I've also been in my sweatpants in their home. Like, it's just that place where you feel like you can be utterly free in that place. And, and there's just something really attractive about this family unit. So much so that they came around for dinner a few, um, last week, and... Uh, they made my house feel more like home. <laughs> Do you have people in your life where it just feels like that? And you're like, there's something so attractive about your life. There's something so fun. But you're like, I want to have that in my life as well. And uh, I think that boards a question for all of us in terms of what is it when people look at our lives that is so attractive? What is it that when people see in our lives, they're like, I want some of that? that you're drawn into um, somebody's life for whatever reason. And I think I would be so bold to say that I feel like that's the freedom, the outworking of the freedom of Jesus in our lives. That when people see our lives and we're operating in that place of freedom, that it's attractive to people. People are like, I want to see that. They see the Holy Spirit, even if they don't know that that's what it is, at work in our lives, it draws people into it. Because we are temples of the Holy Spirit says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16, do you not know that yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within us, uh, dwells within you? See, his Holy Spirit lives within us and so when we experience those feelings of being drawn to others in that way, it is often the freedom of God manifesting in their lives. And again, the language is key. I, I did English literature, so I'm all about the language. Um, but the language is key in this sentence from Paul. Again, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where? Where is the spirit in our lives? Is he firmly center in the best seat in the house, inhabiting all of our home? If we kind of picture our lives as a home. Or is he in the shed 
is brought out for when we absolutely need him. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Again, this is a present, continuous moment. Not just as we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit, but there is freedom. Not there has been freedom, and if you, if you missed it, tough luck. Not that there will be freedom, although there will be freedom in all its fullness in eternity. But there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Right now, this very minute. And so if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or you want that freedom, then that is freely accessible to you now. See, Moses brought the law, which was needed at the time, but Jesus has brought freedom. The law is now done with. It's obsolete in the sense that it doesn't bring us closer to God. It doesn't bridge the gap. Only Jesus can do that. And only through the work of his Holy Spirit can he lift the veil, transform heart, mind, and soul, and bring true freedom. John 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, Jesus came to bring freedom, to set the captives free, to break chains, to release us into the fullness of life promised to us. I love that. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And just to be a little real here in the moment, like this verse really spoke to me about four years ago when I was sat in the doctor's office and he said depression. And I was like, hmm. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I don't really feel free right now. And over the course of maybe it's a few years, I had to just declare that time and time in my, in my life. Like this literally saved my life, this scripture. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we are being transformed into his likeness. And I say that not just to be oversharing, but I say that to bring hope. So much so that I had to get it carved in, well, not literally carved, I got a tattoo, but into my arm so that I would remember it every single day. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And for some of us, we need to hear that. That we have to declare that over the lives. There is truth in that scripture that we receive God's freedom because of what Jesus did on the cross. It is freely accessible to us. And that may be that we have things that we want to get free of. That might be addiction. It might be, could be depression. It could be a whole host of things that we're like, God, I really want to see your freedom break in. Or it could be that you just want to, you want to be a vessel where people look into your lives and they see something incredible and they're like, wow, I want what they've got. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I believe that this morning that Jesus wants to bring that. We've already been praying and singing about the Holy Spirit moving and the Holy Spirit coming. And so I want to give us an opportunity to do that. But just before we do that, who are we founded on? What is the foundation upon which we stand, upon which we step out of? In our lives, who are we reflecting? When people look at our lives, are they like, wow, something incredible going on there? And who is inhabiting our lives? Have we got some squatters that just need to be shown the back door? Or is the Holy Spirit firmly front and center in the best seat in the house? Who is inhabiting? Who is transforming? Who is painting the walls of our house? Who is narrating the tour of our lives? Why don't we stand?